Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Welcome to church. Uh, I'm going to launch straight in this morning. Um, you know, there's a, a movie, one of my favourite movies of all time. It's kind of a quintessential struggle against the odds, that that real underdog story where someone rises up and is able to, you know, take on what people around them never thought they could and, in fact, what they themselves never thought they could. And in it, Kung Fu Panda at one moment um, is there and, and, and this big, fat panda has gotten to a place where he is um, looking at, at everything that's going on and he doesn't think he can do what he's been commissioned to do. And he's standing there and he's, he's standing in front of his dad. He's run to his dad in his time of need. Everyone thinks he's too fat and too stupid and too clueless and he doesn't know what's going on. And so he stands in front of his dad, who is a goose, um, not like a goose of a dad, but a literal goose. And, and the big fat panda stands in front of the goose and says, you know what, dad? Sometimes I feel... I don't know, like, like you're not even my dad. And, um, and the goose goes, <laughs> uh, Poe, I think it's time I told you something that I should have told you a long time ago. And Poe does this slow, what? And the goose says, I need to tell you the secret ingredient in my secret ingredient soup. And because Mr. Ping, the goose, is a, a soup shop owner. And, um, and Poe says, okay. It's almost as if Poe thought he was going to tell him something else. But the goose says, there's a secret ingredient in my soup. Um, and I'm going to about to tell you. And Poe says, yeah, what is it? And he says, nothing. It's actually nothing. And Poe said, what? It's just regular chicken noodle soup? And Mr. Ping says, yes, it is. For people to think it's special, they just have to believe it's there. And, uh, and Poe is like, what? And, and it's an amazing moment. A secret ingredient is defined as a component of a product that is closely guarded from public disclosure for competitive advantage. The ingredient makes a noticeable difference in the way a product performs. That's according to Wikipedia, or otherwise known as Wikipedia. And, um, and it, it's, it's this thing that makes all the difference in the components. It, it changes the makeup. It, it packs a punch. There's something about it that people, once tapped into, they want more of it. Now, the twist is that what we're about to talk about this morning is not nothing like Mr. Ping's secret ingredient noodle soup. This is something. But sometimes it feels like, although it's very, very obvious, the Christian church and the Western church Treat it like it's secret. It's almost like we've forgotten that it exists. But it is true that in this secret ingredient as well, belief makes all the difference. And that the secret ingredient is prayer. How often do you pray? We've got a little slide um, of a scale now. I want you to look at that and place yourself on that scale. When do you pray? And I'm going to ask you right now, not when you're, like when you were a missionary in Africa, how often you prayed, but right now, where would you place yourself along that scale compared to perhaps maybe another time? Where are you right now on that? Is prayer your last resort? Or is prayer your first response and you're in constant conversation? See, Mr. Ping said, you just have to believe. But Jesus said it like this in Mark chapter 9, when he was talking to a father who was at the end of his rope. Have you ever been at the end of your tether 
and just gotten before God and you're just like, unless you come through for me, God, I do not know what else I'm going to do. Has anyone been there? Has anyone been like on the carpet there? Just, I don't know where to go from here. Well, this man was like that. He had a son who was undergoing such torment and such horrific situations that, that he would harm himself. And, and the dad, if you can imagine, if you're a parent, that if your child was like that, you know that feeling of, I need something to happen here, something to go on. And this man comes to Jesus and he implores him and says, Jesus, if you can, please have pity on my son. Have pity on this situation. Have compassion. I need you. I've got nothing if you don't come through right now. And Jesus replies in Mark 9, 24, if you can... All things are possible to those who believe. Let's pray. Lord God, we just submit ourselves to you this morning. Lord, this is a subject that perhaps, Lord, there are those of us in the room that would feel like this is not new and and we know all there is to know about it. Lord, I pray that you would capture our hearts. And Lord, even as we've placed ourselves on that scale, Lord God, that you might arrest our hearts and speak a word to us that we need to hear this morning. Lord, I pray for every new believer to whom um, this whole thing is new. I pray, Lord, that they would capture this secret ingredient and apply it to their lives. And I pray, Lord, for those who don't yet know you, Lord, that they would be able to know that this secret ingredient, the prayer, is as accessible to them as it is to the next person. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. How is it that the secret ingredient has become the blandest thing on the menu. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit about what not to pray for, how not to pray, uh, how not to apply, rather than the secret ingredient, the corn flour of cooking. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Like you thicken everything up with it and it fills out the gaps, but it really doesn't have much flavour on its own. If you were to take a spoonful of corn flour, it's not wise, but try it and film yourself and send it to me. (laughs) That'd be great. ago I know I ridiculous I don't even be that old but um but it was about 20 years ago it's just stuck with me because it was so true it resonated I really want to do an accent but that's not the world we live in anymore and um and so he was telling me about this show of Indian restaurateurs and they they had this Indian restaurant and they went to an Australian restaurant they were pretty much mocking the way that Australians came into their Indian restaurant so they're sitting there they're looking at the um, menu they're asking the wait staff well what's in that is that spicy like how hot is that and just going through it and eventually after all the questions that they ask they say to the wait staff oh we'll just have the blandest thing on the menu and uh, and the the wait staff write it down and and they say just put it all in the middle and share it and the wait staff's like these are individual dishes and they're like yeah yeah no just put it in the middle and we'll share it of course making fun of the way the Australians came to their restaurant asked for the blandest thing on the menu put everything in the middle and shared it if you go to India I've been to India and I asked for the mildest mildest thing on the menu and I sat there sweating and that thing cleaned me out ears eyes nose and other orifices I cannot mention on live stream it was, it was like, it was intense. And then I come back to Australia and every time we have Indian, what do I get? Mango chicken or butter chicken? I ask for the blandest thing on the menu. What should pack a punch has become just this everyday easy kind of dish for me to have. So I'd love to ask you the question, what stops you praying? What stops you praying? What has become bland for you? This powerful notion of us talking to God, what has made that bland for you as a Christian or 
maybe as someone who doesn't believe in God, you just find that prayer doesn't have that much of an impact for you. If you took an inventory of your prayers once upon a time versus now, what would be the difference? Because I feel like there's these prayer pacifiers. It's like when you get a really hot curry and you add sugar to it. And, you, and, and, and so you take out all that punch and that flavour. And where you would have prayed once and you would have in earnest prayed and sweat in your intercession and prayer and where you would have submitted yourself to God and said, God, clean me out. Get everything mucky out of me. You're now like, please let Auntie Jane get a new car and help our garden to grow. And your prayer life has become the blandest thing on the menu. The prayer pacifiers have sugared down your menu and now you've got prayer diabetes and you need a cure. You've toned down the spice effect with your prayer pacifiers. I want to list a few this morning. I wonder if you might relate to them. The first is amnesia, not changnesia, amnesia. And amnesia is where you've forgotten. You've forgotten who you're praying to and you've maybe forgotten who you are in light of who you're praying to as well. You've got amnesia. I want you to think for a second. This would have been much easier. I had my hand... Oh, no, look how clever. I want you to think for a second that like God's understanding of the world. You know, the Bible says that the earth is God's footstool, that, that the train of his robe filled the temple with glory. The prophet was writing and saying that the largest structure of his day was filled with the train of God's robe. Think about this as God's perspective and understanding. And, and then let's think about this as ours. don't know if you can see that. It's a little teeny tiny marble. And I'm not saying that that is us. I'm saying that we live on that, (laughs) that that is earth. And we live on that somewhere. One of the billions of people that live on that compared to who God is. And we just get amnesia and forget to right size ourselves in light of who God is. Because if we truly believe that God had this kind of understanding compared to ours, we'd go to him first a whole lot more. Amnesia. Maybe shame has stopped you. Be gone. Um, from coming to God. Uh, okay, come back. Um, okay, okay. <laughs> we can do this all day. Um, shame, it maybe, has stopped you from coming to God. And you're, you're like, I can't come to God. I, 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 he, he can't accept who I am, forgetting that there's new mercies every single morning. When you woke up this morning, there were new mercies for you today. In spite of the fight that you had with your spouse before you went to bed last night, in spite of you going to bed cranky and letting the sun go down on your wrath, you woke up with new mercies for you and for your spouse this morning. Let's not forget Jesus' record of associating with the promiscuous, with the adulterers, with the prostitutes, with the sinners, with all those who other people would shun and say, you are on the outside. Jesus brought them close and said, I've got a new thing for you and we're doing a new thing. Shame has no place here. Just come messy in your prayer life to Jesus. C.S. Lewis says that confession is the threshold of prayer. So in, in order to pray and continue our prayer life, we should be stepping over that threshold of confession and just letting God know everything that's inside of us. Don't let shame stop you. What about pride? Pride, oh, I've got this one, Jesus. You just stay there. I've got it. Jesus is like, do you though? <laughs> and one of my favorite scriptures is preceded by this one. My heart is not too proud. Psalm 131 verse 1. My heart is not too proud, Lord, and my eyes are not too haughty. I do not concern myself with things too great and wonderful for me. And then my favorite verse, for I have 
calmed and quieted myself like a weaned child on its mother's lap, like a weaned child, I am content. Pride, you, we, there's no place. Remember that we're a kid in the lap of our father. What about doubt? Doubt, are you really for me, God? Or is there something else afoot? We need to only ever look at the cross. And there is Jesus there. And we need to know that he'll always enter right into where our suffering is. He's never going to hold himself aloof from it. Laziness. That's why I choose a mango chicken over a vindaloo, because of what might follow. Laziness. We don't like the discipline of prayer. We don't even like that word discipline. And yet we want to discipline our children to clean up after themselves because we know it's better for them in the long run. We want to discipline our children to be nice people because we know if we don't smash that out of them, the world will. We want to discipline ourselves to live a healthy life and yet we don't discipline ourselves to engage in a prayer life and we allow even in agony, it is in the long term the greatest source of power that is possible. I know some people in this room know this way more than I do. Prayer is often draining even in agony, is it? I'm not praying the way that I should because I don't resonate with that quote. And yet I know that there are some people in this room who completely resonate with that quote. Laziness, fear of rejection, you know, that's real. And yet Jesus said, ask, seek, knock, the door will be open to you. I will be found. It will be given to you. Spiritual ADHD, anyone like this? Hey, butterfly. I was praying. Oh, I'm about to pray. Hang on. Let me post this. Praying. Oh, someone liked it. Oh, someone commented. No, you're gorgeous. Uh, <laughs> you know, don't forget that there's someone invested in distracting you from prayer. There is an enemy that is completely invested in distracting you. So if you encounter distraction, know you're in the right place, but rein in your spiritual ADHD. And then what about experience? You feel like you didn't get an answer. You prayed, but you didn't get an answer. It's not on the board, this one. You didn't get an answer. I just would hazard that maybe you did get an answer. It just wasn't an answer that you liked. Maybe the answer was no. Maybe the answer was yes, but not like you think, like I think. Maybe the answer was not yet. So you got an answer, you just didn't like it. And that's when we need to remember again that God has the big picture of you and we're just living on the little tiny marble. So they're the prayer pacifiers to tone down the spice effect, to give us prayer diabetes, but they're not how we're supposed to live because we're meant to be those who pray. Jesus prayed regularly, all the time, and heaps. <laughs> Three words that all mean the same thing. Luke 3, 21 to 22, he prayed at his baptism. Mark 1, 35 to 36, he prayed in the morning before heading to Galilee. Luke 5, 16, he prayed after healing people. Luke 6, 12 to 13, he prayed all night before choosing his 12 disciples. Matthew 11, 25 to 26, he prayed while speaking to the Jewish leaders. John 6, 11, Matthew 14, 19, Mark 6, 41, Luke 9, 16. He gave thanks to the Father. In Mark 14, he prayed and then he walked on water. In Mark 7, he prayed while he was healing a deaf and mute man. In Matthew 15, he prayed before he fed other multiplied thousands. 
In Luke 9, he prayed before Jesus called him the Christ. In Luke 9, also, he prayed at the transfiguration. In Luke 10, he prayed at the return of the 70 that he'd sent out. In Luke 11, he prayed before teaching his disciples the Lord's Prayer. In John 11, he prayed before raising Lazarus from the dead. In Matthew 19, he prayed while he was laying hands on and praying for little children. In John 12, he asked the Father to glorify his name. In Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22, he prayed at the Lord's Supper. In Luke 22, he prayed for Peter's faith when Satan asked to sift him. In John 17, he prayed for his disciples, himself, and all the believers before heading to Gethsemane. Matthew 26, he prayed three specific prayers before his betrayal. Luke 23, he prayed right after being nailed to the cross, praying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Matthew 27, while dying on the cross, he prayed. In Matthew, in Luke 23, he prayed in his dying breath, Father, into my hands, I commend my spirit. Luke 24, he prayed a blessing on the bread before he ate with others after his um, resurrection. And Luke 24, he blessed the disciples before his ascension. In Romans 8, 34, Hebrews 7, 25, Hebrews 9, 24, and 1 John 2, verse 1, the Bible says that he is still making intercession before the Father on behalf of all the saints. That's us. I think Jesus likes to pray. I think Jesus says that prayer is important. And we would say, yeah, but that's Jesus, Bron. <laughs> and, and, and I'm not Jesus. If anyone should not need to pray, it should be Jesus. He is, after all, God. Why does he need to pray? And yet he considers it so important to show us a life of prayer that he did it all the time. Prayer is important. I know you know this, but I wonder if our lifestyle reflects this. When Jesus prayed, he prayed all the time, anytime. So Ephesians chapter 6 verse 18 is a good summary of this. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. The Good News translation puts it like this. Do all this in prayer, asking for God's help. Pray on every occasion as the Spirit leads. For this reason, keep alert and never give up. Pray always for all God's people. The ESV says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. If you think back to a time where your faith was truly alive, like if you think of a time when your faith was like Pastor Daz was preaching in the last couple of weeks, untamed, I reckon that it was a time of prayer for you. It was a time where you prayed regularly and often. So when should we pray? Anytime, all the time. How should we pray? All the ways, any of the ways. Billy Graham said prayer is simply a two-way conversation between you and God. How long should we continue in prayer? Always. Who should we pray for? All the people. And what's then possible if we pray? All of the things. All of the things. So one last parable and one last quote from Jesus to round us out this morning. Luke chapter 18, verse 1 to 8. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show. So let's first of all capture the purpose of the story. He says it here. To show that they should always pray and never give up. So everything that follows is to show this. There was a certain judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. Anyone get a name? No, okay. Um, I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. Now pause for a moment. Because in our screwed up picture of God, 
we immediately equate the judge with God. And we feel like we're these annoying little people that come to God. Does anyone resonate with that? You feel like, oh, I shouldn't bother God with this. I, you know, this is unimportant to God in the scheme of things. And I don't want to annoy him. And, and you know, he's clearly ignoring me. So I, I, I need to stop asking. That is not what this passage is trying to get across. Verse 6, then the Lord said, learn, so Jesus is talking, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God implied the loving Lord God, our heavenly father who has done everything for you and has made a plan to send me to earth to die on the cross so that we can have relationship restored. God, that God, don't you think he will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the son of man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? Context who have faith still, that they're still engaging in prayer, that they're still going before God to ask for what they need and what the world needs. How many will he find on the earth who have faith? Church, will he find us? Can we say that he will definitely find the chapel making prayer larger, not smaller? That we will still be trusting in God enough to be asking God for what we have need of and what this world has need of. I loved what Luke did this morning. He said, let's grab something that we're going through because of course it's front of mind because we're going through it. Okay, done? Now let's turn our eyes outward and let's find someone else that we need to be praying for. Will he find faith in us? You might realise that we've been doing a huge shift to make prayer front and centre in our church. And we're about to move into a time of 21 days of prayer and fasting starting February 1st and finishing February 21. I'm going to ask Nath Robbo if you could just jump up real quick, if that's all right, Nath. Um, if you could do five backflips on the way, that would be amazing. Yeah, is that all right? Yep, no, nope, come up to me. And um, Nath, I'd really love you to share your story about... Um, our good friends were yep, yeah, jump up, jump up. <laughs> this is who Bronnie's. Um, <laughs> very unexpected. What am I sharing? Um, oh, okay. So yeah, um, just painting the other week over in Trish's new office next door, um, and you know we're leading up to a season of prayer and fasting. So being book, reading a book um, about that and getting excited. And uh, I was doing some one-day fast every week. And this particular day, I brought myself a cup of coffee and I drove next door here. And um, as I was unpacking my ute, I felt God say, tip your coffee out. And I was just like, like, really? It's just a cup of coffee. Like, why would I need to, you know, tip it out? Like, you're gonna... Anyway, I obeyed. Um, I got excited, I guess, because when God asks you to do something, you know something's going to happen. So I was pretty expected, you know, of what was going to happen. So anyway, I grabbed my coffee, hadn't had a sip. I'm looking at it and just threw it out on the grass, threw it away and got on with my day. Now, within a matter of minutes, I ran into a mate who I haven't seen for a long time. And I asked about his partner. And he told me that she was diagnosed with a rare blood disease. 
I, my heart broke for them. And I just said, hey, do you mind if I get my wife and we just come around and see you, see her, and maybe pray for her? Anyway, and as I continued to work, I really felt that God say, you need to, you know, put out an altar call. Their hearts have been softened for me today. So me and my beautiful wife went around there and we had a chat with this couple who are here today and uh, they surrendered their life to Jesus, which is incredible. And all it was was throwing out a cup of coffee. When you fast, even the little things, God hears and listens and he uses you. So I encourage you to do that, please. It's awesome, Nath. And let's also give it up for our new family who are here this morning and part of the family. Yeah, let's give them a hand. A great decision, you guys. It's good, good stuff. And um, you might go, uh, that is, uh, that, what the heck? Why would God ask you to pour out a cup of coffee? And I would be tempted to say, get behind me if someone asked me to pour out a cup of coffee as well. However, it's just about God speaks to us all in different ways. Nath knew that was God talking. And, um, and so he did what he was asked. God will sometimes ask us to do random things just to see that we're listening and that we'll obey him. And I love that story. I think if anything, if, if anything, over the last little period of time and couple of years, we've gotten a new respect for first responders, am I right? Like for the people who go into the burning fires and, and hose them down, we're like, my goodness, those firefighters, we applaud you, you're amazing. We, we look at the people who carted up trucks of hay to farmers suffering in the drought and we go, you guys are incredible and we applaud you. And we look at the healthcare workers on the front lines when there's a global pandemic who still show up to work every day and put themselves in positions of danger. And we're like, you guys, the first responders are heroes. Well, we have the opportunity to be first responders in prayer. And Craig Rochelle says, prayer is never a last line of defence. It's our first line of offence. I want to ask you the question, will you be a first responder this morning? Will you be a first responder? If you're a believer this morning and you kind of like, yep, this all well, nothing's new there. I just want to ask you the question, have you employed any of those prayer pacifiers? Are you coming down with a case of prayer diabetes? Is your prayer life now the blandest thing on the menu and it doesn't pack the same punch? Have you switched to mango chicken over vindaloo? And if none of those apply to you, then I pray and I ask that you would pray for other people to be stirred to the level of prayer that you're stirred into. Ask that God would sweep through this place and create people of prayer because that will. If you're a new believer, I encourage you get a hold of prayer, start praying just every day, just in the car. Create times where that's a trigger for me to pray. When I jump in the car, I sit in the car, okay, yep, I'm praying, and make habits out of prayer. And if you don't yet believe in God, I'm going to invite you to pray the most life-changing prayer. If you haven't made Jesus the Lord and Saviour of your life, I'm going to give you the opportunity this morning to pray the most life-changing prayer that you possibly can. Let me read you one last scripture, Mark chapter 9, verse 24. This is the man talking that Jesus said, if you can, all things are possible to those who believe. It says, immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help my unbelief. And this morning, God in His grace and wisdom and wonder allows the wrestle in us. If you're here this morning and you're like, I don't feel like I'm completely there, Bron. God allows the wrestle in us. He says, and recorded in Scripture for all time, 
that someone believed yet struggled with unbelief. And maybe that's you this morning. And your simple prayer this morning is, I do believe, help my unbelief. So let's bow our head. Let's close our eyes. For those of you who, that is your wrestle, I do believe, help my unbelief. I just encourage you right now to pray that to God who hears and who answers this morning. And I want to pray for anyone who hasn't yet made that decision to follow Jesus. And I want to invite you to pray the best prayer that you can ever pray of your life. It is a destiny-defining prayer. It is an everlasting prayer. It changes your eternity. It's a prayer that puts peace between you and God in the here and now. It's a prayer that gives you power to live this Christian life. And it's a prayer that carries with it a promise for eternity because everyone who believes that Jesus is Lord, everyone who puts their faith in Him does not perish but has everlasting life. So Lord, I pray for every single person in this room who's ready to make that decision. And church, will you all pray after me? Dear Jesus, I invite you into my heart. Be the Lord of my life. Be my Saviour. I don't want to go my way. I want to go your way. I believe. Help my unbelief. In Jesus' name, Amen. Hey again. Thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.